2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, it is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Well, good morning, Flourishing Grace. Oh, man, lively. I love it. It is good to be with you all this morning. I say that every week, and I really do mean it. This is a joy to be able to preach the word uh, this morning. As Benjamin said, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here uh, at, at Flourishing Grace. And um, before we get into the text, man, can we go down a rabbit hole real quick? I mean, there's something that I just can't. can't Bree, if it's not too hard, can you go back to that giving slide? That giving, the giving slide? Has anybody noticed this before? I was just sitting there, and I know, look at that keyboard. Can you guys see the characters on the keyboard from back there? What kind of witchcraft is going on there? Like, I just saw it, and now I can't unsee it. Like, it's like, like I don't know what, the, like, hieroglyphic witchcraft on that keyboard. And then there's, like, a snake book over there. It just kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I just had to point that out to somebody so that I'm not alone. We need to get that changed. Maybe if we give some more giving, we could change the giving slide. Does it work that way? Does it work? I don't know how it works. All right, let's keep going. I just couldn't, I couldn't unsee it. I just needed you guys to share in that with me. Uh, later, in the, next, in the next time you come, you can sit in the front and you can actually get a good look at that because it's kind of creepy. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, man, I've been looking forward to this text. As Benjamin said, we're coming to the end of this series. Um, we only have a couple weeks left. Um, and what the, kind of the goal, the goal of this whole series has been to get our eyes up on the return of Jesus, be encouraged in our souls, and begin to live our lives as people with expectancy and joy and delight and, and just greater a sense of vigor and strength as we press on towards that day. Let that day drive us. And this is a text that I've been excited to get to in, in this series. I wasn't sure exactly what week we were going to place it in. But here it is, we finally arrived. And I love this line um, where Paul says, uh, uh, he's gonna, he talks about the award that he's going to receive that day will be awarded to me on that day. But not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All who have loved it. All who have longed for it. All who have said, man, I just can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. Like, there's a reward in store for those who have their eyes up. There, there's a reward in store who say, man, I'm, just, I'm ready. Like, I'm just, let's go. And so that's my prayer this morning. That's my hope. That that's what flourishing grace would become. We become a church filled with people who say, man, I love his appearing. I can't wait. I can't wait. I dream about it. I think about it. I yearn for it. I long for it. I love his Appearing. So I'm going to pray to that end. I know, I know uh, Benjamin's already prayed for us. I'm going to pray again just to that end, and we'll get into it this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, would you do that work? Would you realign and reorient our affections? We walk into this room, most of us, with disordered loves. We love, we love the things of this world in the wrong order. We've put other loves ahead of of loving you, of loving your appearing, and, and 
Man, as we walk through our days, our, our loves get disordered and they get distracted by lesser things. Would you be supreme this morning? Would you be preeminent this morning? Would you be above all things this morning? Would you receive the glory and honor and love this morning? Praise things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, I brought something for you to see this morning. Uh, th- this uh, is a letter. And this is my wife's letter. Uh, this was written to her, uh, well, it was typed, not written, uh, by an incursive font, um, by her father. On her 18th birthday, this was given to her. And if you get a close look at it, you, there's, it's filled with holes. There's like little holes all over this letter. Because from the time she was 18, she brought this with her everywhere she went. Like every dorm room, every apartment, every place she ever lived, she pinned this up on the board. She pinned this up on a bulletin board or stapled it to the wall. There's staple holes and pinholes. And then finally one day she started to become an adult, and she was like, maybe I should put that in a frame, make it look nice, and uh, put it in a frame, and it hung in her office in Chicago, and moved here, it hung in her office uh, in, in Salt Lake City, and now she offices out of her home, and this sits in, in, her, in her home office at home. And, and, and I have been told that if our house ever catches on fire, forget everything, make sure we grab this, okay? Like, this is this is important, all right? Don't let this one burn. Like, leave, leave it all. All your stuff in the garage, Josh, don't worry about it. Get the letter, all right? This is what we want to bring. And the reason why this letter is so important to, to my wife, um, it's, it's this moment where her dad has affirmed her and spoken truth into her life and told her who she is, which sounds really kind and gracious. But the reason why this letter is so important to her, because it's the only time he ever did. We're less than three minutes in, and I'm already crying. Um, it's, the, it's the only time in her life, one of the very, very, very few times in her life where her parents told her that she was strong, that she was kind, that she was talented, that she was smart and sophisticated. It's the only, one of the only times. And so she's clung to that. It means the world to her. She, she just, everything in her is like, man, I got to keep that letter. And, and I think for, for all of us in this room, you can probably remember a time when you were a kid. Like for some reason, when someone speaks affirmation over you in a powerful way for the first time, it sticks with you. Whether that was a parent or a coach or a teacher or a friend, somebody said, man, you, man I am proud of you. For the first time, like in a real way, like not like a superficial way, but like in a real way. Like you did an amazing job. Can you believe how well you did? You can think to a time when you were young and somebody spoke that truth in your life. Like it's a valuable thing. Some of you guys can relate to, to my wife. And, and you just you had a parent who kind of held it over your head. And you're like, do more, do, do more. Maybe I'll give it to you. Do more, just do a little bit more. Like, be a little bit better, be a little bit kinder, work a little bit harder, get a little bit better grades, right? Just kind of holding the affirmation over your head, never, never giving it to you. There's a, man, why do we crave that so much? For some of us in the room, I think we've begun to believe that that's how God is. God is somewhere up there in the cloud, someplace with his arms crossed, just shaking his head. Come on, man, just do a little better. Why, why, don't, you, why, don't, you, why don't you get your life together? 
again? Like, really, again? Like, what, uh, like how many more times are you going to keep letting me down? Like, one of these days you're going to get together, and then, and then I'll speak some affirmation into your life. And what I, but what I love about this text is that Paul has an old man. Paul's an old man, and he hasn't got much life left, and he knows it. Speaking into this young man, Timothy, and the whole letter, if you've, if you've read 2 Timothy, it is an encouragement to this young man again and again and again and again. He is writing to him a letter a thousand times more powerful than that letter. But he's reminding Timothy, that's not how God is. That's not what God is like. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of this letter. This text is one I said earlier, I've been almost the most excited to preach because of that one little line. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing, all who have loved the idea, the fact that Jesus is coming back. There's a reward for us. There's affirmation for us. And so as we get into this this morning, um, I want to begin at the end, the end of Paul's life. I want you to see that we can love the appearing of Jesus even at the end. We can love the appearing of Jesus even at the end. It's the first thing I want you to see this morning. Paul knows this is the end of his life. He is, he's sitting in a prison cell, a jail cell in Rome, and he knows that it, chances are he's not going to make it out of the jail cell, and, he, and he's not. He's going to be beheaded in Rome, okay? But he doesn't, he doesn't know that quite yet because um, God's got him out of it a million times before, right? But he's like, man, even if I get out, I just don't have that much time left. Paul's realizing that odds are, odds are, I'm going to pass through death before Jesus comes back. I'm going to go to him before he comes to me. And yet at the same time, at the same time, and I think it's interesting, I think it's fascinating, at the same time, he says, man, I love his appearing though. I can't wait for that day when he comes back. I receive that crown of righteousness. I can't wait for that day. That's going to be an amazing day. And the question is why? Why is there still this deep longing in Paul for the return of Christ, even though he knows he's going to see Jesus before he returns? Are you tracking with me? Like, that just caught my eye. Because Paul knows, Paul knows when his eyes close in death, he's going to step into the presence of Jesus. He, he knows that. He talks about that um, in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, verses 21 through 24, Paul says this. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for, labor for me. I can't, yeah, it's good. It's good. I, keep, I get to keep working. I get to keep pressing. Yet, which I should choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to die, to, to be with Christ. Right? I know that as soon as I die, I get to be with Christ. And then that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I mean, if, I, if I can stay and keep pressing on, keep laboring in the gospel, it's going to be better for you. But you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather die and go be with Jesus. Paul knows that I mean, the moment he dies, he's going to step into the presence of Christ. And yet, he says, but you know what I'm really excited for? That day. Not, not the day of my death, the day when he returns. How can Paul, this is what kind of sparked my curiosity in this text. This is a, I went down the rabbit hole. I'm like, all right, how, how can Paul, why is Paul so excited for the return of Christ when he knows he's going to see Christ before that? 
Why is that? And so as I went down the rabbit hole, I wanted to give you guys a few reasons that from Paul's own words, from Paul's own words, three things, and then we'll move uh, back, into the, back into the text as we press forward. But three reasons why I think Paul is excited for the return of Jesus, even though he knows that he's going to go to Jesus before Jesus comes for us. Uh, number one, rewards come at the end. Okay, that's what Paul is saying in this text. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. The day of his appearing. I love his appearing because on that day, there's a reward coming at the end. The day of death is a day of Christ. A day of, I mean, I get to be with Jesus. I get to see Jesus And Paul can't wait for that day. But there's even something greater that's coming at his return. There's something more, maybe not greater, but there's something more coming at his return. And so Paul loves that day too because rewards come at the end. Number two, number number second thing I saw is that the fullness of redemption comes at the end. And Paul's been fighting for redemption for all people. And the fullness thereof comes at the end. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, 9 through 12, he says, For we know in part, we prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, listen. Paul says, man, my whole life, all these things I've been preaching to you, it's just part of it. Like this is just but a taste, but a glimpse. Everything I know about Jesus right now is just part of it. Everything that I've ever prophesied about Jesus right now, just piece of it. But when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully Known. Right now, everything I can grasp about Jesus is limited because of my flesh, because of my brokenness, because of this world that I live in and the sin that has separated me from him. And one day I will die and I will depart with him, Paul says. And in, the, and in that day there will be a greater knowledge and a greater worship and a greater understanding. But somehow in some way, and I'm not sure exactly how, I don't know exactly what this looks like, when he returns... There's an even greater revealing, a completion of righteousness, a completion of knowledge of who he is, a completion of an understanding of who he is, a completion of being able to see even greater who he is when he returns, when the perfect comes. And then lastly, third, the fullness of transformation comes at the end. We are awaiting a full transformation we, our hearts, our souls have been cleansed, white as wool, pure as snow. If you're in Christ, there's been an inward transformation that happens with the moment we step over the line of faith. But when Christ returns, there's an even greater transformation. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, uh, 20 through 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await, we await a Savior. He's coming the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject 
all things to himself. And so Paul understands this idea that, and right now my body's jacked and it's broken. Like we just had man day and half the men here wouldn't even ride a mechanical bull because they're like, that's going to hurt me. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, who cares? Let's, let's do it. And some of you did. And you're like, that hurt me. Um, like I got this broken body and someday when I, when, I, when I die, that body will be left behind and I'll step into the presence of Christ. But when he returns, there's this, there's this resurrection of the dead, this transforming of our bodies into this glorious body like his body. And so Paul, says, all I'm trying to get you to see is this, man, Paul is excited about the return of Jesus, even though he knows that, man, he, he's going to go to Jesus before Jesus comes to us. And there's all these reasons why that the return of Christ, as we get our eyes up, there's more at the return of Christ than there is even in death. And so, man, I, I wanted to this morning, before we even press further into this text, I just wanted to take a minute and just, just recognize that there are people in this room, people at Flourishing Grace, who I love so dearly, that are in the same place as Paul. Where, I mean, the, the story of their life, they realize that they're holding the bulk of the pages in their left hand and not the right. That, that, that their days are uh, very much numbered and that the, the end is not far. And the reality is, is that odds are, odds, odds are, they're going to go to him before he comes to us. And I, I want you to be encouraged this morning. Encouraging two things. Number one, as we've already said, man, the moment our eyes close in death, man, we step into the presence of Jesus. I mean, praise the Lord for that. Cannot wait for that day. Paul's like, that day is better than this day. Like, I can't wait for that day. But in some way, shape, or form, there's even a greater day coming for all of us who are in Christ. For all of us who are in Christ, there's an even greater day coming than that day. On that day when he returns, there's more coming for us, more grace, more reward, more goodness, more transformation, more righteousness in that day. And so, men, we can be encouraged today to love his appearing. No matter where you are, what stage of life you are, we can be a people who love his appearing. Amen? Am I making sense? Let's keep moving through this text. What does it mean to love his appearing? Kind of in a practical sense. Like what does that look like to love his appearing? Uh, first is this. I mean, we love the person, not the event. We love the person, not the event. Okay, this is not like, man, I can't wait for that day. No, I can't wait for him. We, we, we think that God is like, do, do more. Do, do more for me. Like, as I was saying earlier, I mean, we, we think that God is whole, withholding this affirmation, saying, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. But what he's really saying is, come closer. Come, come closer. I want you to be nearer to me. I want you to be closer to me. Come closer to me. Come closer to me. I mean, he, God wants us to love him, not some event Paul says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And to love his appearing is not to love an event, but rather to love the one who is coming. 
If my wife, if, if your spouse goes away for an extended period of time on some business trip or some work trip or something, in a few weeks I'm going to India to work with our partner ministry there, Asha India, and uh, working with local pastors on the ground, and we're doing like this team retreat and all these things, and I'm going to be gone for a week and a half. And, and there was gonna, there's a part of me, every time I go away for a long extended period of time, and I cannot wait to get home. By the end of that time, I just can't wait to be home. And I, I, I think about the day, like, what's it going to be like? Man, I'm gonna, I get to go to the airport in Salt Lake City. Everybody loves going to the airport in Salt Lake City. You get to walk five miles to get out. <laughs> I can't wait. That's going to be fun. Like, I wonder, will my bags make it to the baggage claim before I get there, or will they not? I don't know. I don't know. Let's think more about that. Let's spend some time thinking about that. Will my family be there to pick me up, or will I have to take, like, an Uber home? I don't know. Let's think more about that. I don't know. Like, I wonder what, wonder what, wonder what the last movie I am going to watch on that plane is going to be. Like, like, God, I just love that day. I just love that day. No, I love seeing my wife on that day. I love seeing my kids on that day. I can't wait to see their face. I don't give a rip about the day. To love is appearing. It's to not love an event. It's to love Him. No, nobody loves a day, and yet many of us do. Many Christians, many, many Christians love the event. They're like, oh my gosh, the millennial reign? Is that going to come earlier or faster? What's the, what's the, what's the rapture going to be like? I don't know what that's going to be like. Oh, man, the tribulation, is that going to pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip? Like, no, like, love him, man. What's he going to be like? What's he going to look like? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Will I be able to even process it all, like, Will somebody have a video of this? Because I want to watch it again and again and again. Like, I just want to see him. To love his appearing is to love him, not the day. We must love the person, Jesus, not the event. And there's warnings against those who love the things of Jesus more than Jesus himself. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you know him, just because you know his name doesn't mean you get in. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many people on that day are going to say, but, 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 but we love the prophecy in your name. We love the mighty works in your name. We love to read the books about your name and study the theology of your name. And he's like, who are you again? I don't, I don't think I ever knew you. I don't think you ever loved me. I don't think you ever knew me. You knew all these things about me, but you never knew me. And so who, who does get in? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the will of the Father? That you love him. That you love him. Not the things about him. Not the, not, not the, not the things about him. Not a day. Not some theology, not some religion, but him. That's the will of the Father. 
God is not the dad withholding his affection from you, saying, do more, do more, do more. He's the father saying, come closer, come closer, come closer. Love me. Love me. To love the appearing of Jesus is to love him. The last thing I want you to see is this. Those who love his appearing, what does it look like to love his appearing? Those who love his appearing, appearing, they receive the reward. Those who love their appearing receive the award, the reward, right? Paul says, um, I've been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. There's an award on that day. And not just me, but those who loved his appearing. All those who have loved his appearing. Right? So it's not the race. Paul, Paul says, I mean, I, I've run the race. I've done the work. I've put in the time. And so there's a reward laid up for me. But it's not just for me. It's for everybody who's loved his appearing. So it's not the actions of Paul that are going to receive this reward. It's the loving of the appearing that receives the reward. Do you see that? Paul lists his accolades, and he's proud of what he's done in the name of the Lord. Like, he's proud of that. I've run the race. I've poured out a drink offering. I've fought the good fight. There's a a reward laid up for me, but not just for me, for anybody and everybody who loves him. The reward is for anyone and everybody who loves him. Man, I said at the beginning... I asked the question, man, this idea that from a young age, we, we, we can remember these memories where people have spoken an affirmation over us, where people have said, man, good job, like, well done, like, that was amazing. Like, you can remember the first time somebody genuinely said that to you. Why is that? Why do we crave it so much? Why do we long for it so much? Why does it affect us so deeply? I want to make the case because you're made for it. You are, um, you are made to receive the affirmation of your Father. You are made to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You are made to hear that. And God longs to speak it over you. He longs to speak it over you. Not because of anything that you have done, not because of any merit of your own, not because you ran some race, not because you earned some prize, but because of everything he has done for you, he speaks affirmation over you. I got these two boys, and they've inherited the disease of their father. You know what my disease is? Some of you do. I can't spell. Like, I can't spell anything. And if you guys have been around Flourishing Grace long enough, you know, because I've heard you. I've heard you. Hey, you know, that slide, that word is spelled wrong in that slide. How don't you just go back there quietly and just say, hey, hey, did you see there's a typo? And, like, fix it. Why do you got to call me out every single time? It's a disease, and I can't do it. Forty-some-odd years old, I still can't do it, all right? And they've inherited the same disease. And left to themselves, they would fail every single spelling test on the planet. In fact, they have. And so I said, all right, boys, here's the deal. If you guys get 100% on a spelling test, 
I'm taking you out. Where do you want to go? And it's always the same place. Two options. It's either going to be boondocks or shabu shabu. You guys know what shabu shabu is? Okay, some of you do, right? This is like this Japanese crazy thing where they, they, have, they build these tables that have like an electric pot inside of it and they, they bring out this broth and just boil it right in front of you and then it's endless whatever you want. You just put it right in your pot and you cook it yourself and they love it. They're obsessed. I mean, they're absolutely obsessed with it. Um, and so I said, where do, you, where do you guys want to go? And they're like, shabu shabu, baby. I'm like, all right, man. You get 100% on your spelling test, both of you, 100%, we're going to shabu shabu. Hey, wouldn't you know within a week they get 100% on the spelling test? And so last Friday, not this past Friday, the Friday before, we go to shabu shabu and we eat our faces off. Just, just delighting and celebrating and enjoying. And man, I'm like a toast to my boys. Hey, for all the hard work, for everything you put in, I just want to say, man, you guys should be proud of yourselves because your mom and I, we are proud of you. And this, you've earned this. This is your reward. So come on, baby, enter into the joy of shabu shabu. But let me tell you something. I told you they got a disease. And if it wasn't for their mother and I sitting at the kitchen table every night and at the kitchen island every morning, encouraging them and pressing in and saying, hey, man, you want to work on these spelling tests? Remember Shabu Shabu? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's work on it. Let's work on it. Let's work on it. Let's work on it. Every night, every morning, they would have bombed that test. I mean, breaking down every category, helping them sound out words, pounding it into their little brains, they would have utterly, completely failed. They wouldn't have gotten one word right. I got money on that. Their mom and I did all the work. And yet at that dinner, all the joy was theirs. All the glory was theirs. This is the way our Father, God in heaven, is towards us. Man, he has done all the work. He has sent his son who has died in your place, who has brought you, dragged you, kicking and screaming out of brokenness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. He's done all the work. And he's still like, look at you. Look at you. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. He's a God of affirmation. He's a God of affection. He's a God who just loves to sing over his people. Jesus is going to sing over you. Right now, he's fighting for you. Romans 8 says the, the Spirit of God is praying for you. He's crying out with groans too deep from words. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, he says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession on your behalf. Constantly, always, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God saying, come on, baby, let's give him one more. Let's give him one more. Let's help him one more. Let's sit him down at the table one more time. Let's coach him one more time. Let's lift him up one more time. Let's drag him out of that pit of sin one more time. Like, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. Let's give them one more time. Constantly, always, always interceding on your behalf and on mine. Always praying for us. And you are firm. You are loved. You are delighted in. And one day, one day, all that work will be affirmed in the most beautiful way. I love the story of the prodigal son. If it's not one of your favorites, you're probably not a Christian. It's just an incredible, incredible story, man. This parable that Jesus tells to kind of put into our minds how this all works. 
The story of this young man who uh, goes to his father in first century Israel, which would have been like the most shameful thing. He says, Dad, I want my, I want my inheritance now. Would you just give me my inheritance now? Which is the equivalent of saying, you know, I really wish you were dead, but you're not dead yet. Could, could you just hook me up now so I can just be done with you? I just don't want to take care of you anymore. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I just want to move on with my life and go to it. And so his dad, I, can you imagine the, just the grief and the sorrow of that father watching him, his son just spit in his face and turn away and be like, man, I just don't want anything to do with you. And yet every single one of us in this room, there was a time in our life when we were that far from God, when we rejected him, when we rebelled against him, when we walked away from him, when we wanted nothing to do with him. And that son, he goes, he takes all that money, he squanders it, he spends it all, spends it all. And then a famine comes in the land and there's no food for anybody. And he's got no money to buy any food. So he gets a job feeding pigs and he's looking at the pig food. He's like, that looks pretty good. He's like begging people for food, begging people for food. And he gets this realization. He's like, God, you know what? The, the servants in my father's house, they eat better than this. The servants do. And I know my father will never take me back. He's never going to take me back. I know that. But maybe he'd let me be a servant in his house. Maybe he'd let me be a servant in his house. So he goes back to the house. And here's what Jesus says. He rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against, against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father stops him. The father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes and put them on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Man, God's heart to you is a God of affirmation and a God of reward, even though you've done nothing. You've done nothing. He says, get the best robe out of my closet and clothe him in it. Wrap him in my glory. Wrap him in my righteousness. Man, come on. Like, kill the fattened calf. Prepare the table. Let's feast and celebrate. Because my sons and my daughters have come home. We do nothing. Nothing. We deserve none of it. But he delights in delighting in you. He delights in affirming you. He delights in singing over you. This is who our God is. He's a God who is ready to celebrate your return. Every day he's sustaining you through his spirit. Every morning on your behalf, he's crying out for you. His heart is for you. And one day, one day, for those who are faithful to the end, there will be a crown of righteousness placed on your head because you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of the Most High. He is not withholding the affirmation. He affirms you right now. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep moving. And this is why Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage this young man to endure to the end. So church, let's get our eyes up this morning. Let's get our eyes up on Christ. Let's remember who our God is and his posture towards us. And let us endure faithfully to the end.
Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I know there are people in this room who are still struggling to believe all that. Still not quite sure if that's who you are. God of all things did not forsake his own son, but gave him up for us. Didn't withhold you, but gave you up for us. It's a God of infinite love towards us. God of infinite delight towards us. God who delights to delight in us. Holy Spirit, I pray right now this morning that you would speak affirmations into the souls of your people. That you would remind them that their sin is no more. It has been laid on Christ himself. And that right now, right now, they can return to you. Right now, they can give themselves over to you. Be affirmed in this place. Because what you want from them is not more doing, but just a right love. To love what is most lovely, to worship what is most worthy of our worship. And to which you write our hearts, would you straighten our paths, would you help us to endure to the end, give us a greater vision of your love and affection for us. Friends, we're going to move into a time of response, and I'm just going to invite our prayer team up. And every week at Flourishing Grace, we just have an extended time of just responding to the word that we have heard. And so, um, and our prayer team would love to pray over you. They, they would love to, um, man, if you, if you this morning, you're like, man, I just don't know. I just don't, I just don't feel firm. And they'd love to pray affirmation over you. They would love to pray strength into your life. They would love to just pray the gospel over you this morning. Maybe some of you in the room have realized that the bulk of your days are behind you, and odds are you're going home to him before he's coming to us. And you just want prayers for a safe journey home. And they'd love to pray that over you. Maybe some of you, it's just been a long time since you've been affirmed. You're a spouse and you've just been pouring your heart out, pouring your soul out. It's working endlessly. And people in your home haven't been affirming you and the love that you've shown. And they would love to just pray a prayer of affirmation over you. They would delight in that. Maybe you just need to sit where you are and ponder on the beauty of our God who loves you right where you are. But either way, we're just moving into a time of response and invite you into that time.